Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Thank you, Dr. Aiken, for uh, your friendship and for such a kind introduction. Thank you, uh, seminary family, uh, for your warm welcome. Uh, I love your president, and I love the blessing that he is not only here, but to the, largest fam- the larger family of Southern Baptists. And, and I'm grateful for the way that he and, and, and the leadership team here have led Southeastern to earn the place as the IMB's favorite seminary son. And that certainly is the case. We have so many Southeastern students, uh, former students who are on the field, so many current students who are on the field, uh, so many former and current current students who who work at the IMB. And uh, we're grateful for all that, uh, that that this institution does to partner with us, uh, but more importantly than that, to ensure that the gospel is getting Uh, to the ends of the earth. So we praise the Lord. It's appropriate uh, that this is the first seminary campus I have the opportunity to visit in my new role. And I'm so thankful for the stewardship of this pulpit, Dr. Aiken. Uh, Let me say to those of you who are here this morning and who are leading Southern Baptist churches or attending Southern Baptist churches and tithing in Southern Baptist churches, uh, thank you for paying my salary. Uh, Thank you for providing Uh, for 300 support and mobilization staff members at your International Mission Board. Thank you for providing for 3,665 missionaries who are taking the gospel to more than 130 countries right now. Those are your missionaries. You support them. Not only do you benefit uh, if you're on uh, uh, faculty or staff here from sort of paying your own salary, not only do you benefit from sort of paying your own tuition through the CP scholarship, but as your church gives through the cooperative program, you bless and benefit kingdom work around the world. And we praise the Lord for you. Glad to have uh, one of our newer missionaries with me this morning, Jacob accompanied me on my way down. He's a a D-Ben graduate of this institution. Uh, He and his wife, Lindsay, uh, in just a a few days from now, will be packing all of their belongings into a crate, and they will take their three children to South Asia, uh, to, on behalf of the Lord Jesus, and on your behalf, share the gospel in a lost and dying land to give the hope and life that Christ has provided. And I'm thankful for him and thankful that he's with me this morning. I want to turn your attention to a passage of scripture in the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 56, be reading verses 1 through 8. Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8. As you're turning there or clicking uh, it on, uh, let me me sort of uh, set a direction for us today by saying that I want us to ask the simplest of questions as we look at this text together. And the question is, why? Why? To be more specific than that, uh, I want us to ask, why are we here? Why are you here as a student at Southeastern Seminary? Why are you here as a uh, faculty member or staff member of this seminary? 
Why is this seminary here? Why? Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. The context of this passage, uh, because you've had Old Testament survey and maybe a lot beyond that, you might recall the context of this passage uh, is that of a difficult season for the elect of God, the Israelites, is a difficult season of their own making. Uh, they had turned from the Lord. They'd rebelled. Uh, they were following the false gods of the nations. They were treating the poor unjustly. And the Lord had sent prophets before to speak to them, to warn them, to say to them, in essence, I love you and I want better for you than this. You're walking a pathway to destruction, and yet they continued to walk that pathway, ignoring the word the Lord spoke to the prophets. The Lord sent other prophets to say a little more forcefully, I, I, I love you, I want better for you, I am your God, and I am calling you back, and should you not turn, you will fall under my judgment. You see, the Lord loves us too much to let us walk headlong towards destruction without doing whatever is necessary to call us back, even when that entails pain. The book of Hebrews assures us that the Lord disciplines those he loves and uses the analogy of a father disciplining his son. And, and, and I know there were times that when, when I needed my father's hand of discipline in my life in an earthly sense, but there have also been times when I needed the Heavenly Father's discipline in my life. There were times when, when pain was the only thing that I would respond to. The threat of pain was not enough. The people continued to rebel. And then God did what he said he would do. He removed his hand of protection from Israel. He extended his hand of discipline, his hand of judgment. Uh, the people were overrun by their enemies. Many of them carried off into exile. It was a time of great pain. And then the Lord's people began to turn back to the Lord, to repent, to trust him again. 
to set their faces towards him and their hearts upon him. And the Lord began to relent and to restore. And that's where we pick up here. We've seen something of the people's plight as I've described what was taking place here in the context of this passage in the context of that day for the Israelites. And I would submit to you that you are here because of the people's plight. You are here because of the people's plight. We've seen the plight of the Israelites. The Lord, who is always merciful and kind and forgiving, has seen the people turn back to him. And through the prophet, he speaks a word of hope. You see it there in verse 1. The Lord says, my salvation is about to come. What the people needed most, the Lord was promising to deliver. Don't you know there was rejoicing as the people heard a good word from the Lord, a word of hope from the Lord. But as we continue reading this passage, we see that it wasn't just the Israelites who were addressed. In fact, we get down to verse 3, we find two more groups of people who are referenced Read that verse again. First we see the foreigner's reference. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Now this wasn't just a foreigner. This was a foreigner who had joined him or herself to the Lord. So this was one who followed the Lord. And the Lord, speaking a word of hope and salvation to the Israelites, knows that, that he also loves those who he's called out from the nations. And he knows what's on their heart and in their mind. They feel separated. And hearing him speak a word of salvation and hope for the Jew, they still feel separated. He says, don't say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Now they felt separated because there was a sense in which physically there was separation. As the people gathered for worship, there were places uh, we know that, that, that the foreigner could not even go to gather with a Jew to worship. When it came time for the fellowship meals, oftentimes the, the Jews would not eat with the foreigners. The foreigners, even those who followed the Lord, were not permitted to eat with Jews. There was this sense of separation. And so standing back in the distance, separated from those who were worshiping the Lord and hearing a word of hope and salvation from him were the foreigners who were wondering, what about us? Is there a word from the Lord for me? There's a third group of people referenced there in verse 3. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Now, if the Lord's people were gathered up close hearing a good word from him, and the foreigners were in the distance wondering, Is there a, a word for me? The eunuch, well, he's way back there somewhere in the shadows. He doesn't have a name except servant or slave because typically the eunuch was a slave. Not a eunuch by choice, mind you, but, but a eunuch by force so he would not present a threat to his master, to his owner's family. And so here was one, the, the lowest of the low, the most hopeless of the hopeless, one who, who was a slave and who had no capacity to even have a family of his own. Now, it's hard to imagine that plight, I think, the plight of slavery for those of us who haven't experienced it. 
I had a bit of insight visiting with some of our workers in West Africa a few years ago. We had an afternoon off and, and we made our way from where we were working in Dakar of Senegal, just across the bay to a place known as Goree Island. Maybe some of you have been to Goree Island. Maybe you've studied about Goree Island. Goree Island was settled by the French slave traders. Uh, it was a, a, a very important place in terms of the colonial slave trade where the slave trade was flourishing, coming out of West Africa. And the island has been preserved. You can tour the island. You can, uh, you can see what it was like during uh, the colonial slave trade period uh, a couple of hundred years ago. And we were, we were doing that very thing. A guide was leading us uh, around the island. And we, uh, we went through one gateway and found ourselves standing in, in, a, in a small courtyard. And that courtyard in the center of it was sort of a semicircle that was built of stone. And on either side of uh, that little semicircle was a stairwell going up, two stairwells that went up to a balcony, and that balcony overlooked this little semicircle of stone in the courtyard. And, and the guide explained to us that we were in the slave auction house, and this was the auction ring. And my mind went back to my days as a boy growing up. Uh, my father had a little farm, and we loved the days when he would get us out of bed and put me and my two brothers in the truck with him and we would head north to London, Kentucky to the auction. We loved those days because on auction day you didn't have to work. <laughs> and plus the auction was a fun and exciting place to be for a boy. We, we would sit in the bleachers alongside of dad and the other farmers and, 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 and cows and calves and, and goats and pigs would be paraded through the auction ring and the auctioneer would be singing his song and, and everyone bidding and, and every now and then a pony might be brought through the auction ring and that's when all eyes were fixed on dad. Is he, is he going to bid? Will we get a pony? I had good memories of my days as a boy at my father's side at the auction. But even as those memories flooded my mind as I stood in the slave auction house on Gore Island, the feelings were very different knowing this was a place where human beings had been bought and sold. The guide led us to a hallway that winds around behind the auction ring and and just a few steps in, there was a doorway to our left, and it entered into a small room. And he pointed to the archway over the doorway, and chiseled in stone is the French word for men. And, and he explained to us this is where the men were held. They would be uh, abducted from their, from their homes, their tribes, their families, and, and, and brought here to Gore Island, held here in this room, and then taken from this room to the auction ring and sold as slaves few steps down further and we came to a second doorway in a second room and he, he pointed to the, to the archway and chiseled in the stone was the French word for women and he explained this is where the females were held and then a few steps on down we came to a third doorway and chiseled in stone was Leon Fonts. This is where the little boys and the little girls were held, where the children were held before they were sold as slaves. 
He began to explain to us the division here that you're seeing, in fact, is more than meets the eye. It wasn't just that they divided the, the men from the women and the adults from the children. No, in terms of a family unit, if they could tell who went with whom, that also would, would, would mark a division because they would never sell a member to a family to a buyer who had bought another member of the family. For you see, uh, time and experience had taught them that a man does not make a good slave when he sees what slavery means for his wife and his children. And a woman does not make a good slave. In fact, in fact she will die trying to protect her children. And then you've lost your investment. And so they had found that the best practice, the most efficient and effective practice for bringing a person into slavery was to separate them from their family members. And so they would be separated, they would be sold to different buyers, they would be placed in, into different ships, and if they survived the journey, they would live out whatever days they had remaining as slaves, never again to see a mother, a father a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter. Now, I can't fathom the pain of that. I, I, I can't even imagine what it would feel like to have strangers knock down the door of my home and take my family out into the street and, and sell us and separate us and then try to go on living my life. I, the wickedness of human slavery is unspeakable. And yet, while I can't fathom that, as I read my Bible and you read your Bible, spiritually speaking, I'm told I am a slave. Or at least I was. Because the Bible says in the New Testament, the one who sins is a what? A slave to sin. And it goes on to say, in fact, Paul in the book of Romans says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And knowing that I'm all and that you're all and that we all have sinned and the one who sins is a slave to sin, then, then we have this reality that is pressed upon us that as we sin, we are spiritually slaves, slaves to sin. And what awaits us is death. Aren't you thankful for a Redeemer? Aren't you thankful for a Savior? Aren't you thankful for one who loved you enough to lay down his life to purchase your freedom, to give up his, to give you yours? Aren't you thankful for Jesus and all that he's done for you? Brothers and sisters, we are here not just because he has done that for us. We are here not just because it's time to worship as the seminary community gathers together. We are here. You are here. This seminary is here because there are still those out there who are yet enslaved. We have come to this place not to serve ourselves or to serve one another. We have come to serve them. We have come here because they're still out there and the Lord wants them maybe not here, some of them, yes, but he wants them here in his family. He wants them here in his church. He wants them here in freedom. 
from their sin. They're enslaved to the same things that once bound us. They're enslaved to their addictions. They're enslaved to their lust. They're enslaved to their greed. They're enslaved to their pride. They're enslaved to their lying and their gossiping tongue. It was no different what enslaves them. is no different than what enslaved us. And that's why you're here. Because they're still out there. We're here because of the people's plight. And we're here because of God's promises. We've seen the promise that he made to the Jews. Salvation is is soon to come. But the Lord goes on as he references the, the, the foreigner and the eunuch to make promises to them as well. Referencing the eunuch in verses 3 and 4, the promises are spoken to the eunuch in verse 5. Let me reread that verse. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Think of the significance of that. The eunuch is owned, a slave, without a family, known only as slave. And the Lord says, I'll give in my house and within my walls a monument. I will honor you and a name better than sons and daughters. He goes on to promise, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be, come on, that shall not be cut off. What beautiful promises. The Lord references the foreigner in verse 6. And here are the promises that are spoken to the foreigner in verse 7. Let me reread that verse. These I will bring, the foreigners, to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. You feel separated? Don't feel separated. No, I'm going to bring you in with joy right into my house. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. You're coming right to the front and you're accepted. And my favorite part is the end of verse 7. <laughs> for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And, and, and that word peoples, uh, the Hebrew scholars in our midst will be able to tell us, is the same Hebrew word as the word foreigners. So, so, so picture this. The Lord says... You feel separated, don't feel separated. You say the Lord separate me from his people. No, no, the Lord's not gonna separate you from his people. I've got a place for you, I'm welcoming you in. And in fact, to prove it, I'm gonna rename the house after you. (laughs) My house will be a house of prayer for the foreigners. My house will be a house of prayer for the nations. My house will be a house of prayer for all the peoples. And that's why you're here. Because God has made beautiful promises to those who are still enslaved and to those who are still separated. And it's not that they just don't know that a promise has been made to them. They don't even know there's a promise maker. They don't know simply what God has said. They don't know there is a God. But he knows them and he loves them. And he's made a promise to them. And that's why you're here. All of the promises of Isaiah 56, I won't trick back through them, but all the promises of Isaiah 56, God has already kept. Did you realize that? In fact, he's kept them all in the same way. Or, or, or I could say it 
better by saying he's kept them all through the same one. God promised to the Jews salvation. What did God do? God sent a Savior. God promised a, 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 a name to the one who had no name. What did God do? God allowed that one whose name is above every name to be spat upon and ridiculed and his name to be mocked so we all could have his name. God promised acceptance. What did God do? He allowed his son to be rejected so you and I could be accepted. God promises a place within the family. What did he do? His only begotten son paid the price for our adoption. God promised that we would be welcomed in. What did he do? The book of Hebrews says that, that outside of the gate, outside of the camp, outside of the city, he was sacrificed so we could come in. God has already kept every promise. Our Drake had mentioned we, we have four children. Um, our youngest one is new. Uh, we, we just got her a couple months ago. Uh, she's six, but we, we've actually had her. Uh, we, we just adopted, we've completed her adoption a couple months ago. We, uh, we were foster parents and she came into our home when she was three. And, uh, and as things turned out, we ended up adopting her. She actually has an older sister who came in, into the state's care, into foster care at the same time. We don't have her older sister. Her older sister uh, is in, in treatment program in Louisville, a teenage girl. Uh, unlike the three-year-old, she had suffered many more years of abuse and neglect and it's just not simply been able to, to heal enough to be in a family setting. So the goal is for her to be in a foster family and ultimately to be adopted. But, but three years in, she's just not been able to get there. My wife, Michelle, before we moved just uh, a month and a half ago, she would go see uh, that teenage girl every week. Uh, she's in an institution in Louisville and and my wife and a former school teacher, the little girl, had are the only people in three years who have ever come to see her. If, if, if she's had a good week, she's allowed to, uh, allowed to leave. And so M Michelle, would, my wife, would, uh, and, and the school teacher sometime together would take, the, uh, take her out to the movies or the mall or a restaurant, whatever a teenage girl likes to do. And, and, and sometimes bring her to the house where she can, she can visit more with her little half-sister who's now our daughter. And, and we were having her at home one evening sometime back and we were seated at the dinner table and just out of the blue, she turned to me and asked me a question. She said, do you know why I'm glad Lily is here? And Lily is her little half-sister. I said, no, honey, why are you glad? She said, because Lily has a daddy, and she's never had a daddy. It was pretty tough for me to finish supper. 
As I thought about what she was saying and the depth of what she was saying. But it was really later when I reflected more upon it that the real depth occurred to me because here was this teenage girl who was celebrating the fact that her little sister has what she doesn't have. You see, her father died of a drug overdose years ago. And she's been in and out of the system. And for the last three years, she's been living in an institution. It's not just that she doesn't have a, a, a father. She doesn't have a mother. She's a ward of the state. She doesn't have a family. The only people she knows as adult caregivers in her life are the rotation shift of those who are paid to come and take care of her. And yet that child, in her pain, fatherless and without a family, is so thankful that her little sister has what she doesn't have. Every little girl needs a daddy. And a mommy, every little boy, every little girl, we, they need someone to love them and to take care of them, someone to be for them, someone to teach them, someone to, to help them along the way. We all needed that, didn't we? Whether we had it or not, we all needed it. Here's the beautiful promise that the Lord makes to a slave without a family. I'll be a father to the fatherless. I'll accept you. I'll welcome you in. I'll be for you. I'll give you a new name. I'll give you my name. I'll love you. I'll give you an eternal name. I'll provide for you. You will be mine. You will have a home. You will have a family for all eternity. And that promise is why we're here. And it's why we go out there. It's why we go to South Asia. And it's why we go to East Asia. And it's why we go to Europe. And it's why we go to South America. And it's why we go to Raleigh. And Detroit. And Miami. That's why we're here. here because of the people's plight and God's promises. We're here because God has a purpose for us. The last verse we looked at, I want to read it again, verse 8. Uh, it's a, such an important verse to me. In fact, there's one word in there that, that a lot hinges on for me. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet, and here's the word that, that so much hinges on for me. Others, others. I'll gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. That, that word's important to me because I was an other. I wasn't an Israelite. I wasn't an outcast from Israel. I was an other. Probably few of us here have a Jewish heritage. We're others. And the Lord says, I'm going to gather others. And I'm thankful that the Lord gathered others. I'm thankful he gathered me and I'm thankful he gathered you. 
but there are still others. And that's why we're here. There's another story. We find the eunuch referenced here in Isaiah 56. There's another story in the Bible, uh, an account of a eunuch that you, you probably, most of us are more familiar with. It's actually in the New Testament. Uh, you, you, you remember the account of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts uh, chapter 8, I believe it is. Check me on that New Testament prof. <laughs> but that account does not begin with the story of a eunuch from Ethiopia. That account begins with the story of a follower of Jesus named Philip. Now, Philip was one who uh, the Lord saved and didn't take to heaven. He left him here. Why? Because he had a purpose for him. I believe that everyone God saves and doesn't yet take to heaven, the Lord leaves here on purpose. I believe he has a purpose for us. And Philip, uh, trying to live out God's purpose, heard from the Lord one day, and the Lord spoke to an angel and said, Philip, I've got something for you to do. And Philip, who wanted to fulfill God's purpose for his life, he, he, he was all ears. He said, well, what do you want me to do? And, 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 and he was led along the way as the Lord led him along the way, he came upon a chariot, and in that chariot was, you'll recall, a eunuch from Ethiopia. Now, this was one who had risen up through the ranks of servitude, obviously, because he was a treasure to the queen. And the Bible says as Philip uh, approached the chariot that the, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from something. And you might recall what he was reading from. He was reading from the scroll of the book of the prophet Isaiah. What a coincidence. <laughs> no, it's not a coincidence. God made a promise hundreds of years before that the eunuch will have a name of honor and a place in my family. And as, as Philip found out what he was reading, he asked him, he said, do you understand it? And he said, well, how could I unless someone, unless someone explain it to me? And, and then the Bible says Philip explained it to him and he told him about Jesus, the promise keeper. And apparently he believed what he heard because as the story unfolds, they happen upon a hole of water and the and the Ethiopian eunuch now asked, asked now, now what would prevent me from being baptized? What would prevent me from, from following in obedience with the command of Jesus that you've told me about and the example that he's given us? What would prevent me from letting the world know that I've trusted in Jesus, my sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb? What would prevent me from going, going public with the fact that I am his and he is mine. And obviously the answer was nothing because the Bible says Philip got down and he baptized him. I, I was preaching on the Ethiopian eunuch, Dr. Aiken, some time back. And at the time of invitation after the sermon, there was a little girl who stepped out and, and walked down the aisle to where I was standing in the front. The little girl's skin was, was dark in pigmentation, unlike my own. And, and she looked up at me and she said, I want to be baptized. And walking down behind her was, was, was a young couple and, and their skin was light like mine. But as they walked up behind that little girl, they looked at me having heard what she said. And they said, 
This is our daughter. She was an orphan in Ethiopia. And the Lord brought her entire family. And she's heard the gospel and she's been saved. And we agree it's time for her to be baptized. And I tell you, it's about all I do keep from shouting. <laughs> because the Lord is still keeping promises. The Lord is still calling others. The Lord is still welcoming in his family those who are outside of the family. He's still loving and he's still adopting. He's still saving. And that's why you're here. You're here because they're out there. Get yourself ready here and go get them. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you today for your kindness, Lord. Loving us when we were lost. Saving us we were dead in our trespasses and sins, setting us free from our own slavery. Lord, I thank you for every man and woman in this building and on this campus and connected to this seminary family and for the unique place that you've given this seminary family in fulfilling your great commission, for the unique place that you've given this seminary family in training and equipping an army of rescuers to go out and to speak your promises among the nations. God, use them. Use us to bring the nations home that you might enjoy having your sons and daughters gathered around your throne for all eternity, singing your praises and the praises of your only begotten who gave his all. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.